Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money and ExpressVPN. I'm Simone de Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub, and Brianna Wu, executive director at Rebellion Pack. Welcome to the show. I'm I'm feeling it. I think this is going to be a good show today. Think so. I, I, I think I could say that as well. It may or may not be because we've already recorded half of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we might already know a little bit about that. Also, um, I'm just back from Disney. I'm a little bit out of it, so I will apologize for that in advance to the audience because I'm still jet. I'm I'm jet lagged and I'm I'm Disneyed out. I'm very tired. Was Disney fun? It was amazing. It was hey. fantastic. It was really good. Um, it was like the first vacation, the real first real vacation I've had in a couple of years. And um, um, I went with two of my friends, Alex Kranz and Catherine Trendacosta. And Catherine um, has been to Disneyland many times, but she's never been to any of the uh, Florida the Disney worlds. worlds. And Kranz has never been to any of the the Disneys ever. So it was a really, it was really fun being with uh, two, two of my dear friends and uh, going to all the parks. And uh, uh, we were not able to get a reservation at, at Tiffin's Brie, but we oh. did walk past it. We were, we, we did walk past it, but the Avatar ride in Animal Kingdom is You waited amazing. for the Avatar ride? Oh my God. I, I didn't wait for it. I, I paid for it. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. But the Avatar that's ride was smart. fantastic. It was so yeah, good. It's yeah, a no, good I, ride. I, 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 yeah. The, the, the one where you fly the, over Pandora and you're in front totally. of the IMAX screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Kranz uh, went by herself on um, uh, Monday morning, I guess it was. Because um, mm-hmm. we went on Sunday and then she went back Monday and she waited in line for like the other Avatar ride, like the crappy one that's like oh, it's the, terrible. the boat tour. And oh, she was like, so I can't stupid. believe I waited two hours for this. Um, it's a children's ride. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, she knows it now. She's like, well, I'm glad I got the experience. And she did um, the Everest roller coaster again. And she went on some safaris because I didn't care about any of the zoo stuff. And uh, so I oh, went the to the pool. Oh, the Kilimanjaro safari. That's great. I'm sure it is, but I just don't care yeah. about any of that stuff. So I, I went to the pool and then to the outlet mall to buy a suitcase to bring um, more of my stuff home. Bring um, your hat uh, back. Yeah, my hat back. I have a great hat if people want to follow me on Instagram. Um, you can see my hotel tours and, um, some other things and I'm going to be posting photos, um, throughout the week, but I got a, a great hat that was designed for children. Um, but it's a Buzz Lightyear hat and it's fantastic. And, um, uh, fortunately was, you have a child's head. I was going to say, I didn't even realize this until I like put it on. I was like youth. I was like, oh good. Cause I did also buy like an adult Nike hat that was like for the 50th anniversary Disney world. And that fit okay, but I had to make it really, really tight. Whereas like the Buzz Lightyear hat just perfectly fits. It's pretty great. It is pretty great. And um, we also got Alex. She got some really, really terrible hats, including a hat from Animal Kingdom that has Harambe um, oh, uh, like dear. stuff all over. Oh, well, they they named it Harambe uh, Wildlife Re- Re- Reserve like before yeah, the whole yeah, incident. That's, that's long before. The oh, but they oh my still, God. Yeah. I had no but idea. They still, yeah. But they still should have changed the name yeah. um, after everything. And and that the hat was so bad and it's got these like it's like this uh, um, like army green color and then it's got all these patches on it, like that, uh, or, and um, like like pens on it. And one of them says Africa, and one of them says Harambe, and it's a real bad hat. And so we, <laughs> she had to buy it. But uh, we got great photos of her in front of the Harambe sign. But whoever designed that hat, my working theory is that they were just like trolling the <laughs> Disney Corporation because and leaning really well. They far got paid, me. and I'm happy for them. Let us get into yeah. tonight's tech news. We got an exciting show for you today. We're going to be talking about. 
AI-powered search uh, with new announcements from Microsoft and Google. And then we're going to be talking a little bit about right-to-repair laws uh, since one was recently signed in New York. For dessert today, we have Matt Hardigree and Jason Torchinsky on from new automotive news website, The Autopian, new as of last year. It's, it's, a, it's entering its sophomore year of being a website. Um, and they're talking to us about exciting... Uh, the, a lot of the exciting ways that car manufacturers are, are thinking about uh, creating, hmm, lift, shall we say, <laughs> in vehicles. And for our booster segment, for our premium members uh, who've signed up and get a, a bonus segment with each episode, we've got these guys on and uh, they're talking, Jason is talking about his Chinese EV, the Cheng Li, that his he infamous, imported. infamous it's Chinese. Yes. So good. You might have seen it if you follow Jalopnik. He used to write for Jalopnik before the Autopian um, and made several videos about this incredible car. Um, which if you uh, listen to the rest of the show, you're about to hear me learn about in real time and I'm in love with it. This is Simone from the future speaking to you saying, oh my God, I want this car. So mm-hmm. learn all the secrets about that in our booster segment. And if you'd like to sign up for membership, you can do so at relay.fm slash membership. Amazing. All right, let's talk about some AI. There's a desktop preview available now for my, uh, a new a Microsoft Bing search option powered by an upgraded version of OpenAI's language model, GPT 3.5. That's the same model behind ChatGPT, but better. Uh, that preview is available starting today. It allows a limited number of queries. Uh, some of the ones that they demonstrated in, in their... Uh, you know, big demo of it were things like, hey, plan a five-day trip to Mexico City or uh, give me a a five-course meal, give me some travel tips, uh, help me shop for furniture on Ikea. Uh, On the demo, those results display in a split screen with your standard search results on the left and Bing's AI-generated answer in a chat window on the right. Microsoft says full access is coming soon, uh, but there is a wait list if you sign up for it. Um... Very interesting. This, uh, the Bing AI will also tell users about recent events, which is something that ChatGPT doesn't do yet. I think they demonstrated Bing showing, giving answers about like its own creation, which had been written about like an hour before. Um, It'll have a chat feature and a a compose feature. The compose feature is sort of an AI assisted writing assistant um, that can generate things like texts and emails and then chat will summarize a web page or a document for users. That announcement comes soon, hot on the heels of Google revealing its own AI search tool called Bard, which had its own flawed demo just a day earlier, which I think we're also going to talk about. No, it was a day later. It was a day later? Yeah, the Google event was today, and the the, the ChatGPT uh, Bing event was yesterday, and um, but but Google was humans showing make off. mistakes too, just like AI. Long story short, AI-powered search results are coming soon, and in some cases, are right among us. Gosh, uh, I guess we'll start with the disclosure that you, Christina, work for uh, GitHub, which mm-hmm. is owned by Microsoft, but you have nothing to do with the AI portion of the company, as far as I know. Um, yes, you're making no. a face. 
Well, okay, yeah, with your, there are a number of disclosures I should I should reveal here. One, sure. I work at uh, GitHub, which yes, is owned by Microsoft. Uh, GitHub also has a partnership with OpenAI for Copilot. Some aspects of Copilot are included as part of this this Bing search thing. Um, I also uh, do a podcast with Kevin Scott, who was at the event um, and and has been was heavily involved in the OpenAI stuff. And frankly, I've I've worked at because I did used to work at Microsoft. I am more bullish. I'm going to just say I'm, I'm bullish on on whether it's for Microsoft or other people. I'm bullish on this AI stuff in general yeah. um, because yeah. of, of the access and the exposure I've had to this for the last like five years. So, but yeah, so that that's the disclosure. I don't work directly on Copilot, but I do work with Copilot, and I definitely um, uh, have more information than what I can talk about uh, publicly about these things. I don't so, think can, that I'm wrong yeah. about the dates. Sorry, I'm looking at two Verge articles, which are saying Google talked about Bard on Monday and Microsoft had their demo right. yesterday. But then Google, I thought, had an event today. Okay. That's what it was. They revealed Bard on Monday. Microsoft had the event Tuesday. And then Google had an event on Wednesday. All right. Well, so we're both right. Cool. Brianna, yes. So I, I just want to kind of give a use case of where I think this is going and why I think Google should be really, really afraid. So um, today, the new Scream movie is coming out, right? Uh, so I want to make Ghostface my iPhone wallpaper, right? So I need to go out and find a high-resolution picture of Ghostface. This actually proves to be far more difficult than I was thinking it was going to be. So I'm trying all these different Ghostface uh, searches, you know, going into Google image search, clicking HD. I can't get anything high res enough. And then I find myself going over to the, um, you know, these sketchy wallpaper sites <laughs> that will like put Love something them. and it's like, hey, click this button to download it. And then you're down and loading some sketchy Chinese uh, spyware onto your phone or whatever. Like, so this is a really good example about how search frequently is broken. And some of it is the ad model. Some of it is these junk sites that come up. But the uh, the idea that some people have seen with chat GPT is, you know, you can, uh, like in this case, I, I could say, hey, uh, can you find me a really high resolution picture of Ghostface? Oh, could you find one from Scream 5, maybe, uh, at the hospital? And you can just keep refining there in more natural language terms, which is eventually just going to be a very far superior way to find the things that that uh, you're looking for. Some of the things in the Microsoft Bing demo here are really, really interesting. I mean, it's stuff like, hey, can you plan a meal for this week? Can you, like, these more open-ended questions. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I, Christina, you can certainly talk more about this than I can, but it just from the outside, it seems to me that because Microsoft has invested so much infrastructure and technology development in the kind of services that you're going to need for this, as well as the developer kind of relations to, to make this work, I think, like, I'm not going to say, like, Google is dead, but I actually think Bing is going to have a really big leg up in um, kind of guiding us into this next uh, phase of search, in my view. I mean, what, how do you feel? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think that this is a really, really, I think that this is in a lot of ways the future. Like I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, like uh, I'm not the only one who feels this way. And I, I've, I've said this like repeatedly, like don't think that AR VR is the thing. I think that AI is the thing. Like that's actually I the agree. next big wave. Um, whether you like that or not, like I, I think that's, that that I actually kind of think is irrelevant. I think that this is the next big wave. And, and there are obviously things that that are going to need to improve and some things are going to need to change. But I think the fact that, with uh, the fact that so quickly, so ChatGPT launched, you know, like uh, December 8th or something like that. Uh, I might be off on the date, but it was it was early December uh, regardless. Um, and and the the OpenAI stuff that the backs ChatGPT had been available and a lot of other um, use cases, um, you know, for, for months or, or in some cases years before that. But the power of the chatbot and I think the power of shipping and giving it to so many people, that's the big thing. I mean, like there's, there was an article, uh, I think that it was last week, it might've been the week before about, you know, Google kind of having this existential crisis right now about what they're going to be doing, um, with AI stuff. And, and it's very clear that they, you know, with, with Bard, which is in private, um, uh, a preview. And, and I, I don't think that people have been able to use yet. There was kind of an embarrassing, you know, factual mistake in, in its ad, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to dunk on them for that because I think that that can happen with any of these things, but it just shows how this stuff can be tenuous. Um, but I think that what, what's impressive to me, like taking all of my very clear conflicts of interest out of this is that when I look at something like, the the way that they're making being better using this stuff and 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 making it better even than just having a chat GPT um, plugin um, because people have built Chrome extensions um, that that will run alongside Google where you could you know like use use the chat bot and try to find things on its side the fact that they're getting more up to date information more recent information because they're not just pulling from the the the, the chat GPT uh, corpus which I think goes back to 2021 um, they're getting more updated information too using that natural language, like you said, and, and shipping, I think that's really honestly the bigger thing. Like it, it's, I think opening up a lot of possibilities in a lot of people's minds that for me is really exciting because I know that we're a lot of people, their, their default reaction to a lot of this stuff is to be like, okay, but this is scary. And what are the negatives? And, 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 and we need to immediately, or this has already existed. We need to be dismissive of this. And I'm not saying that like, we shouldn't be having very, Serious conversations about some of the challenges and and um, the guardrails that need to exist in AI. But for me, I get really excited. Like this is why I love technology. When you see the possibilities and you see what people can do and what they can build, and the fact that you know in in a couple of months something has gone from you know having a soft launch that kind of took over the world to now being an integral part of what the next generation of like, you know, a fledgling search engine and to see that you could really have a much better search experience, I think in a lot of ways um, than, than what we've had for the last few years, especially is really, really exciting. And then you, you just think about what the possibilities are if this can be used in other ways too. So just to, to um, piggyback super quickly on what you were saying about the, the ethical concerns here, yeah, there was a really big storm this week where uh, a bunch of the reactionary side of political Twitter um, was basically really upset about chat GPT um, generation where someone asked uh, if it could stop a nuclear nuclear bomb, uh, would you say basically a racial slur? And it's gave this answer that was that really upset the reactionary side of politics. Um, I think what makes 
chat GPT or this kind of AI stuff so good and optimal for search here is the entire reason that happened is because these models are designed to tell you what they think you want to hear. They're really, 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 really good at that. And they simulate speech and kind of you know trick you into making it seem believable with some phrases that are essentially just a word salad. But if you think about what AI can do really, 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 really well, it's tell you what you want to hear. So I think in this particular case with with searching, you know, you are looking for something very specific, and I think it's going to be able to hone in on that in a much more natural way. So I, I think that in this, I th- agree with you, there are ethical concerns to be had about AI. I think when it comes to search, mm-hmm. I think it's harder to think about where those would come into play because it's it's ultimately trying to just show you what you want. I definitely still have those concerns, I guess, when it, it when it comes to factual queries. And to be clear, this is in no way an AI specific thing, because, no, because as we know Google from had- the last few years of search, like you can very easily search something and end up on a website that it is high ranked in SEO and is telling you things that are factually incorrect. Yeah. That no, being I mean- said, AI shares that problem Absolutely. with us as human searchers. Um, so that's where I think... What is important is what Microsoft did after the Bard demo, uh, which is have, I, I think they had a disclaimer on it talking about how, like, it's a tool in progress and results might be, um, might you should basically fact check your results, um, which, come to think of it, we should have that for <laughs> for search broadly. Uh, I I definitely still see that being a problem, especially because I I think the last few years have shown that we do have a tendency to people have a tendency to trust what they find online, um, and I can see that extending to trusting the powerful AI that is giving you an answer, as you put it, Bree, that you want to hear. Um, so I think it's important that companies who are working on this kind of technology continue to to properly implement disclaimers or find find ways of of serving their users while also making it clear that this is not an omnipotent tool. Like it it's fed on what we it, it, on what we give it, and I think that's really important for people to understand. I think that's well said. Yeah, no, I think I, th- I think think you're exactly right. And yeah, to your point, just to say, like you'd already kind of mentioned this, but like you know the the SEO stuff, like this is in in no way um, a new thing um, that AI will be dealing with. I was on Science Friday. Gosh, I guess it was probably six years ago, um, maybe longer than that. Talking about how the Google Knowledge Bank would be fed answers, like you know, like uh, how old is the Earth? And because there were some creationist websites that ranked really, really highly, those were the things that would be part of the the Google knowledge panel, right? And so these things are going to be exploited. I think that this is one of the – so that's something that as this stuff gets rolled out, that's the one kind of downside is as, a, as excited as I am about all the things that people are building with this. And I do think we're going to be so, see so many cool things and have so many things that are going to really make our lives better you're also going to have the people who are going to try to come in and be like, okay, how can we manipulate this to, you know, make money or to set our own agendas? And and that's just something that I think to be aware of. And to your point, I think that's why it's good to have those disclaimers and to just be really aware of that. Like that doesn't, 
you know, obviate the need to then also do good due diligence and and whatnot to make sure that Mm -hmm. your data is as good as possible. However, I think that like the more education we do with people, because the one, you know, kind of downside of these tools, uh, whether it's from, uh, you know, uh, OpenAI or or, or Google or or anyone else, is that they can sound so convincing, right? They're very convinced of their own truthfulness. Absolutely. And, and, And to the point where like you're reading it and you're like, I know this is false, but this, damn, this sounds really good. So, you know, I think it's just a part of this is a, an exercise, I think, especially now as this is getting started and educating people not to distrust it, but just to be going in with like open eyes. I mean, like, OK, like anything else, this mm-hmm. could be wrong. Do fact checking. Don't, you know, like make medical or or life decisions and or financial decisions. Yeah. You know, based on well, this. And so, another thing. No, oh, go on, Bray. You've made no, your point. No, it's fine. I was gonna, go ahead. I'm kind of moving on to a different thing, so. Okay, so I, I was going to say, I, something I've been thinking about with this is, I think one of the reasons that this Bing demo seems so compelling is because it's so clean, right? Like, you're asking it for something as giving you this information without, frankly, all the BS, right? Um I'm really, I I think there are a lot of worries out there for people because it seems like a lot of journalism sites are highly geared to, like, figure out SEO stuff, cause you to click on it, then you click on, you know, that place's uh, article and you read the ad, right? Like, I'm I'm trying to be dead space, right? So it's like you're trying to find the puzzle and you're going to these junk sites that IGN is putting out and all of that. It's a terrible experience. AI in this format necessarily is not going to, you know, it's not going to say, go visit this IGN wiki page. It's going to say, if you're trying to solve the the crane puzzle in dead space, here's how you do it, right? It's going to pull that information out and give it to you. So I think there are concerns to have, I mean, I don't think journalists enjoy writing clickbait articles like that, but I do think there are, 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 are I think it's going to impact journalism and advertising and a lot of this SEO optimization that we've we've seen many industries tilt their their way towards. Yeah, I definitely have concerns about that cuz like speaking for as a person who works at a website that has a guides team, right. sure. like people spend a lot of time mm-hmm. you know figuring these things out often on a very tight deadline before a game launches so that we can provide written guides to people to figure this stuff out. Um I hope ours are, are nice and pleasant to read. I think they are. I've <laughs> used them myself. Um but yeah, yeah, in in that sense like I I do genuinely, it doesn't sit right with me that a human could put so much work into figuring something out and then have the AI kind of pull from it and, you know, condense it for for the searcher or like extract it from the website that it lives on and present it to the searcher. Um, That kind of ties into the previous thought that I was having, which is that like human human labor is going to always be important for these things. And I'm thinking now specifically of itineraries and and travel, which is that, okay, if we took the AI right now um, and got itineraries from it, 
it's it's not going to generate something new. It's not going to find a new the hot new restaurant in Mexico City that people are going right. to and tell me this is the this is where you need to go if you you want to be on the precipice of food culture in Mexico City. What's going to happen is a, a person is going to have to find that and write about it and tell me about it. And so people are always going to be so integral to this process, and that's a problem that I still. People being involved is not a problem, but the way that we properly attribute information to people, credit people, um, and pay people for that work is super important. And it's something that I, I don't necessarily see having an answer at the moment as AI stands right now. Yeah, I will say, I will note at least the the way that the, the Bing stuff is working right now from what I can tell, and I don't have access to the, or at least I don't think I do, um, have access to the uh, preview. I probably can get access, to be honest, but I don't have access right now, um, is that it will show you like attribution and have links to where it's getting some of mm-hmm. its information. So it's not like it's just giving it to you in a vacuum. There's still hyperlinks, which is part of the web. But you're right. I mean, these are things we need to think about. Um, and, and, but at link attribution has been, uh, an aggregation. This has been a debate that the internet has been having since the internet mm-hmm. started. Like yeah. I, I remember the Pointer Institute who I don't really have a lot of love for, but you know, the big journalism Institute, um, uh, that's based in Florida, you know, they would write all kinds of like hand wringing stuff about like the, the, the ills of blogging because bloggers aggregated content, not understanding mm-hmm. that like a hyperlink is actually a, a pretty great way of, of giving attribution, right? But like these are yeah. these are complicated problems that there aren't easy solutions for, but these are also in many ways not new problems. So, yeah. you know, but Much what like is factual information. Exactly. But what is new is that you can get like, okay, this isn't going to replace the human who's going to maybe be a travel agent for you, but this is going to give you a really good itinerary potentially much more quickly for you to then go to a travel agent for, Right. Or, sure. or, or to talk to somebody who might have more expertise for without having to slodge through, you know, reading a million very similar looking, very SEO kind of driven, you know, articles. Like I just went to Disney and it was useful. A lot of these, there's this whole like microcosm of sites around people going to Walt Disney World. And yep. the information is great oftentimes, but it's also incredibly repetitive. And it's, you also see the same thing over yep. and over again. And, and you don't really know what, good info you're getting. You have to kind of dig in and look. And I was looking at, you know, just the Bing demo and I was like, this would have been a really good thing to say, hey, on this day, what rides should I go to? Like, like what, what based on like uh, activity, because this stuff is posted of, of wait times, like what, what order should I do certain rides in? Right. Like that, that would be great for me. Right. And it's not going to mean that I might not still get some value from some of those other sites, but it would certainly answer questions that right now those sites can't answer for me, or if they they can, they they, they won't. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I I I completely agree with you. I just I think that the the danger here, like, look, let's be clear. Like a lot of these these terrible sites. I'm not talking about Polygon to be clear. Like, how many times have you clicked on an article like this? Like the Dead Space example. So you're playing Dead Space. Dead Space is an award-winning game. This is a remake of blah, blah, blah. So you're trying to solve this puzzle. It's hard to solve this puzzle. And you can just tell they're padding out the word count in the most obnoxious way possible. It's trying to get you to like go there and just scroll through 
as many stupid ads as you can. Like in this particular example, like there's not going to be a financial motive for someone to go there and like get that information in in like the first place, right? So I, I'm 100% there with you. I, I just, in some ways, like I, it's not the journalist's fault. It's like the the corporate overlords that have optimized for all these terrible uh, things that all come at the expense of user experience. And I just think a lot of people are not going to worry about the institutions. They're just going to want that information for yeah. free. And, you know, it's going to it's going to harm an industry that's already really in a lot of pain or or or, you know, kickstart an industry that is maybe maybe not like looked at things as effectively as they could, right? Like, I think this is an yeah. opportunity. Anytime you see disruption in anything, I think that if you look at it just in terms of like, how is this going to harm the status quo? I think you miss what the, the how people really succeed when there's disruptions or people who look at how can I pivot myself or how can I use my own unique skill sets to, you know, um, get past this or, or to yeah. even be part of this wave, right? Like, I think that that this is an opportunity, honestly, for a lot of publications to maybe even get out of like the pure SEO trap and and do things like who we're going to be going to be talking with um, in our uh, our, our um, dessert segment. Uh, you know, journalists who are offering real value that can't just be condensed down into a, a query that you put into a search box. You know what I'm imagining? I think just one last thing. I can really imagine there being a specialty for some journalists in the future where you're working with like the the Bing API, right? Yeah. And you're feeding in facts, high quality facts into the database. That is going to be gold for a search engine like this. That's going to have an immense amount of value. And maybe like the nature of journalism is going to change. So if you're hired for an organization, you're out there gathering facts, you're putting it together and you know, maybe other things write it for you, right? Like I think generating high quality data sets, there's going to be a huge market for that. Let me tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Rocket Money. Oh my gosh. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, it's two handfuls maybe, and then another couple fingers on top of it. You might want to double check how many services you're subscribed to. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like, say, that streaming service that you bought just to watch one show on, or that free trial that you never even used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones that you don't want. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling those subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. I uh, I was poking around in the trial that I have, and it is genuinely so freaking useful because, like I've said before, it 
will it looks at all your your accounts and it says hey here are your recurring subscriptions in a way that like if you have multiple accounts like i know a lot of us do like you're paying for one thing with one card another thing with another one no it puts them all in one place so you can genuinely face your fears look in the mirror see what you've subscribed for and take care of it and i genuinely the thing where it will unsubscribe for you I find so nice because not only does it provide the option to like do it for you and just handle the whole thing, which is a huge time saver or even like uh, anxiety or I just don't want to bother saver if it involves a phone call. B, if you do want to do it yourself, it has detailed instructions about how to do that. So you're not like navigating around the company website being like, how do I stop paying for you, please? It Rocket Money will tell you because they want you to save money. So super, super useful and genuinely just like I was shocked at how easy it was. Once I logged in and hooked up my accounts, it was like, all right, here you go. And I was like, oh, you just have that. Oh, OK, cool. Yes, sir. I will unsubscribe from some things. Great. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash rocket. That's R-O-C-K-E-T-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash rocket. Rocketmoney.com slash rocket. Our thanks to Rocket Money for their support of this show and Relay FM. Ba-da-da. I just signed up for that while you were doing that ad. It's a good nice. idea. I've been needing to do this for a while. Super useful. Yeah, no, it's a great service. And and it, as you said, like genuinely, like I, I, I've i um, used it um, too. And it's, again, I use multiple cars and I have different, yeah, it finds everything. And then I was like, oh, I'm paying for this thing and this thing. Is this necessary? It's very, very, very good. I'm so annoyed at myself because I signed up for a YouTube TV free trial to watch uh, Race of Champions. And I it it's like a three day thing. And I forgot about it for like one day too long. And I had to pay like the full $60. Fair enough. You know what? I shouldn't be trying to scam YouTube. No, no. But but yeah, but it's annoying when you do things like that. And you're like, oh, my God, what did I do? Yeah. Totally agree. All right, let's move on to our second topic today. Lawmakers in New York passed the Digital Fair Repair Act in June. That act supports the right to repair, but Grist reports that when New York Governor Kathy Hochul signed the bill into law this past December, corporate lobbyists had somewhat watered down the bill into a more business-friendly form, quote-unquote from Grist, uh, giving consumers and independent repair shops less access to parts and tools than the original proposal called for. Uh, The past bill applies to devices built after mid-2023. It exempts electronics used by businesses or government, um, and there are explicit exclusions for home appliances, or things like home appliances, police radios, and farm equipment. Previous versions of the bill uh, that had first passed in June asked that companies make parts, tools, and documents available to everyone on fair and reasonable Terms. It was largely opposed by tech companies, uh, though, according to data, the most popular devices that people seek to repair are consumer electronics, such as cell phones and laptops. Uh, right to repair supporters are still saying that the bill is a step forward towards supporting and broadening the right to repair. Uh, but is it something that we could see uh, roll out to other states? Some believe that it will have a ripple effect through other states similar to the 2012 Massachusetts law that supported automotive right to repair. That could be a precedent. I just, I wanted to know, have y'all followed this bill and do you see it reverberating 
throughout other states? And how do we feel about right to repair in general? I think I can answer that, but I'll throw it. <laughs> how do we feel about right to repair? Oh, my God. I mean, it's obviously great. Um, yeah, I was reading an article that you put in the chat about you know, your lovely governor, uh, Simone, uh, Kathy Hochul, and then kind of sabotaging this bill on the back end through the legislative process. Um, I gotta say, I was never a Cuomo fan. I am really pissed at Kathy Hochul. She's she's made some decisions that have really screwed a lot of people over uh, really bad in the United States, even outside of New York. And this was just a... Another reason um, I don't particularly like her. Yeah, I've been following the right to repair stuff for a long time. And I was excited initially by what some of the changes were and like what it seemed like the the, the these people were going to be able to um, achieve. I do think that some of on both sides of the rhetoric can be a little bit untrue. I think that some of the right to repair activists, although I support them uh, very, very much, I think sometimes some of the stuff they say isn't quite necessarily always really for the best of consumer interest, but I do think that in general it is. Um, and uh, what, What's an example of that? Well, I think, for instance, there are some security things. Like, for instance... Um, touch ID. Yeah. We, we had we had this issue with touch ID, right? And and I yeah. once Apple was making, you know, the, the parts available, that was one thing. But, like, there, there, I did have, like, problems, which is, like, okay, I want you to be able to replace my camera. I want you to be able to buy an official part um, at, like, a, a, a decent price. I want you to be able to replace, you know, my screen or whatever the case may be. But I don't want somebody to be able to put in a sensor that is interacting with a secure enclave. Um, that is not approved, that is like from a third party that either won't react responsibly or even worse could be a security, you know, threat, right? Like I think that there are some real things there. I think there's also some, uh, you know, things that are in place um, in terms of this isn't specific to phones, but there are some things in place uh, that a lot of uh, device makers and operating systems have for for theft protection that sometimes these things um, can go against. And and that isn't to say that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater, far from it. I'm just saying that that I do think that some of the concerns that the, the device makers make aren't completely um, without merit, because I think all of us have probably had that experience of taking your phone someplace cheap to get the battery or the screen replaced and having a really crappy experience. At least I have. Um, even the places where like people come to you and you're like, oh my God, like this is just terrible. And so I'm, I'm all for right to repair, but I also am, am really for, you know, having good repair. Um, having said that, like, again, like I think that watering down these bills and, and doing it in this way is, is really negative because fundamentally our devices should be repairable and, um, replaceable, uh, or not replaceable, should be repairable and, and fixable and resellable. Um, and, and we shouldn't be buying stuff that we are just going to, you know, either do an e-waste or do in recycling uh, methods that are only going to profit the, the companies that make the devices and, and mm-hmm. not actually be able to extend the longevity of how these things could be used. So um, I, I it's disappointing to see this sort of thing. And, and I do have yeah. concerns that if this was going to be one of the really first big, really big right to repair bills, and if this gets watered down, I think that could have a really negative impact for the rest of the fight that um, a lot of people have been um, working really hard on. I'm just quickly Googling now because I, I remember I was looking at the exemptions again and farm equipment being under them. And I was remembering that John Deere, didn't they recently lose yeah. a lawsuit over right to repair? Yeah, I, I think I, so. Interesting. Yeah. So where where I, I come down on this, I totally agree with your security concerns, Christina. I do 
genuinely believe that, yeah, any anything that's interacting with my biometrics, I don't necessarily want those parts to be available to everyone. That being said, uh, the exemptions for things like home appliances, I can't think of any reason for that but greed, especially as we've Agreed. like moved into this continually connected world for mm-hmm. things like printers and refrigerators and dishwashers. These are yep. things that in no way need to be uh, well, okay, if they weren't smart, they wouldn't need to be as secure as they should be. <laughs> but, right? these are, like, but, but these are also things that, like, you feel like you're being nickel and dimed, right? Like, you're talking yeah, about, exactly. like, like I, and I feel like this is only going to get worse when it comes to cars because so many cars already, if they're made after a certain date, um, you know, which, uh, and many of those cars are very old now, like, you need to have a computer um, or special, you know, software or special benches to be able to work on that's only going to become more exacerbated as we move into EVs. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. we've seen this with laptops, right? Like, you know, the RAM is soldered in in most cases. And like Apple really goes out of the way to not let you do any sort of repair on your laptop, which is sort of frustrating in some regards. And, and I think that that's a, it's a negative in, in some aspects. It can be great because you have this, these really efficient cars or appliances or laptops um, that are really sleek and work really well. But then on the other hand, it's like, do I really want to have to replace my dishwasher every 10 years, right? Or, yeah. or, or every five years or something? Like, do I have, you know, do I have to hire like the, the Maytag repairman, um, you know, to come out and, and, and service it? Shouldn't I just be able to you know, either get the parts myself if I'm handy or use any sort of like kind of local, you know, electrician or whatever to do it. Like, why do I have to, you know, go through their owner's policies that oftentimes include very expensive and overpriced, you know, parts and and, and labor um, for service Mm -hmm. that isn't even, we're not talking about security to to your point with, I'm talking about my dishwasher, right? Or or my, my washing machine. I mean, on that point, uh, just to give a very specific example of how they're watering this down, uh, so they they you had TechNet, which is one of the institutions, basically lobbied and back channel to water down this bill. The original version of it had manufacturers where they had to provide you know tools and compatibility for a wide array of parts. So let's say, like, let's not use Apple for an example. How about a Nintendo Switch for an example? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is certainly certainly possible to put a better screen in the Nintendo Switch than Mm -hmm. what came with it, right? It's very easy to imagine a third-party manufacturer going out there saying, we're going to give you OLED or brighter technology. We're just going to update this screen. And hey, you know, while you're fixing your broken screen, you can update it and have a better product at the end. Very, very easy to understand. But of course, it's in Nintendo's best interest if they're complying with this, to only give you the tools that work with Nintendo's replacement screen and only sell you Nintendo-branded tools. Mm. And then they have software checks to make sure it's only the Nintendo-branded screen. So I'm fully in agreement with you, Christina, when it comes to um, the security aspects of it. You should definitely do a carve-out there. You know, that's InfoSec. We don't mess around with that. But I think this is this is a really good example of, you know, frankly, not to get partisan here, but I think all too often, like the corporate democratic interests, you know, in a state like New York, you don't have like a, another party to blame for this stuff in the right, same way don't. as we can nationally, right? And I think it really... 
I, I think when people are cynical about politics and you know, just to be frank, cynical about the Democratic Party, I think this is a really good reason why. Like you've got a, a Democratic governor who was put in place in like the aftermath of a, a very serious sexual harassment scandal with a friend of mine, right? And it's 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 you see her cynically using the levers of power to help people that are already very comfortable. And it's it's very disheartening in my view. Mm-hmm. I have a brief update on the John Deere situation before we move on to yes. dessert. So they had entered into an agreement with the American Farm Bureau Federation to allow farmers to repair their own vehicles, but with a caveat that if right to repair legislation passes, they can withdraw from that agreement. So they're basically saying, like, as the Verge article puts it, you can repair your vehicles on our terms, but if a broader like legislation is like is passed, for it we 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 take away we take away the right. So yeah, it's very uh, it's it's a it's a half win, I'll say, for uh, for farmers with John Deere vehicles. Yeesh, yeah, I, that just goes to show how important this stuff is and how. Like devices used to be so much easier to repair, and part of that is because they were simpler and less secure. And yes, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But, but it's something that we, I think, as consumers, especially, just need to continue being aware of and and to push for because, as you like, there are concerns, e- ecological concerns. Yes, there are just concerns of you know autonomy um, and security to balance out with all of it. So, those are my thoughts. Okay, well, let's move into an ad read from me. I'm remembering <laughs> to do it. <laughs> this episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy, but choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. There are a ton of VPN providers out there, but there's a good reason to use ExpressVPN and why we have them as a sponsor. They're really good. Here's why. Number one, ExpressVPN does not log your activity online. Lots of VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers. Kind of defeats the purpose, but ExpressVPN doesn't do this. They even developed a technology, trusted server, that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all, just like my brain. Number two, speed. ExpressVPN now uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol that they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. Sometimes VPNs can slow your connection, but ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and users stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart is how easy it is to use. You don't need any technical skills to get it set up. Just fire up that app, tap one button to connect. That is it. Uh, I know I am uh, going to Italia next week. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, And certainly when I am both streaming television shows in another country, as well as browsing the internet in public places such as airports, I'm going to trust that ExpressVPN will will have my back in these things as I try to watch The Sopranos. I, I, I'm sure, I, I'm sure that Italians don't have The Sopranos. They're not allowed to watch it. I will be the only one, and I'm going to be <laughs> the most you. popular girl at Carnival because I will have The Sopranos. 
And that's my story. CNET, The Verge, and Business Insider, and many other tech journalists rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Go to expressvpn.com slash rocket today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash rocket. Visit expressvpn.com slash rocket to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. All right, it's time for our third segment of the day. See, isn't it just like I promised you guys it would be? Welcome to dessert. We have two very special guests, and they are Jason Torchinsky and Matt Hardegree, both of the new auto news outlet, The Autopian, uh, which recently launched uh, Jalopnik alums striking out on their own in what you, I think, Jason, described as the Protestant Reformation of auto sites, which is something <laughs> I would love. Yeah. I would love you right off the bat to tell me more about that. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was yeah. Our initial goal was we wanted to uh, nail our our protest doctrine to the the church door, and um, that's as far as I thought it through. All right. What's the what's the protest doctrine of the automotive industry? I've got to know this. We only have three theses. We we (laughs) shot really low. Yeah, it's just it's like a poster board. It was no. It's very simple. one, a good user experience. No terrible, awful ads. Um, oh, my God. Yes. Pop-up ads where you can't see the website and autoplay ads. Um, none of that. Uh, two, being able to really write about whatever we wanted to um, and write about it in the way that we wanted to without influence from advertisers and influence from SEO and trying to do clickbaity headlines, just write about what we care about. And three, I think it's just to be inclusive. Like, because just because yeah. you like Porsches yeah, and... Mm-hmm. Busted. We don't care how Busted. disgusting your automotive kink is. No. There's going to be a place <laughs> for you to discuss it at the Autopian. With and you'll find we... other people more depraved than you automotively. That's, that's what They're we tearing do. up your checks, Brianna. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think... Don't bother sending them. They're tearing them up. I mean, I'm not Doug DeMuro with like a, a career at GT that I bought with my cars and bids money. Man, you're doing great. I'm I'm pretty sick with the Porsche uh, disease right there. So for the sake of the listeners. I would actually like to uh, rewind a little bit and let you both say your name so that they can associate a voice with a name. Uh, Jason, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Jason Torchinsky. I'm one of the co-founders of the Autopian. Uh, The three co-founders, David Tracy, who unfortunately can't be here tonight because he's desperately trying to move out of Detroit. And he at last we saw. Oh, good luck to that man. A U-Haul. He got his U-Haul stuck in the mud in his backyard somehow. I spent this past weekend <laughs> helping him move, and it was an absolute nightmare. It was a colossal. <laughs> but he's moving, and uh, it's going to be good. And then Bo Bachman is our other partner, a wonderful guy, Bo Bachman. He's a uh, uh, head of uh, the Galpin dealership network, a real genuine gearhead, fantastic collection of cars. Uh, so the three of us founded that uh, back on March 32nd of this uh, of last year. And, 32nd. Um, yes, that's right. March 32nd. All right. I'm listening. Go on. We didn't, we didn't want to do it on April 1st, so we just... Oh. We paid also, the extra I... fee, and we got the extra day in March. You can do that if you write to your congress. Thank you. Nice. Also, um, I was going to say, you're the owner of the infamous $1,200 Chinese Changli EV, yes. of which <gasps> you have content mind. I encourage everyone out there... Please go look at Jason's EV on YouTube because he spent $1,200 on the biggest yeah. POS 
Evie, uh, you've got one of those little cards. Yes. Yes. here. It's fantastic. Yes. It okay. is one of those fantastic. Unless you need to go up a very steep incline, and by steep incline, I mean like two degrees. Yeah, then you just it's a little underpowered. I have more so. questions about this, but I want to let Matt also uh, yeah, put, a, okay. put a name okay. to Welcome a voice to or chain. vice versa. <laughs> yes. I am Matt Hardigree. Uh, so I'm the publisher of the site. I was at Jalopnik for a number of years. I actually hired Jason and David. And, uh, you know, I've come on, I came on board. I was making, I spent the last few years after getting out of media, I pivoted to video and I was making TV shows and, and movies and documentaries and things. And that was really fun. And then Jason and David were like, hey, we've made a website and we think it's real. And I was like, it's not real yet. And then they showed me the traffic and I was like, oh, it's real. Oh, <laughs> We should figure out a way to make this sustainable and keep doing this. And so I've come along to to help out and also help run the site because David is constantly in Australia working on old cars or yeah. trying to move. This move has been going on for four months. And I don't have anything as cool as a Changli, but I did buy a 234,000 mile BMW this afternoon. Which one? Which one? Uh, E39, uh, not an M5, but it's the 530i with the uh, five speed and the sport pack. So inline six. <laughs> I'm go to church this week and pray for you. Sending you my best. As a victim of the actual Facebook pivot to video, uh, I think you need to fess up to stolen valor there for your pivot to the TV industry. <laughs> That's true. It wasn't Facebook Live, although I did work on Univision slash Geo Media's ill fated Facebook Live campaign. So oh, I was part those, of that. So oh, those were great though. All but right, those, no stolen the, valor. Fair enough. Those, those were really good, though. Like the ones that I did at at at, at, a, at Univision or whatever. Like were things like Christina eats chicken on camera and deletes apps. <laughs> it, it's crazy. They just let us do anything. Okay, fun. but let's. I remember talk about. Oh, go on. Well, I was. Just, I remember that when the Facebook Live era, I took a an Amphicar, an amphibious car, out onto a lake, and we got <laughs> yes. to do the, all that Facebook Live, which was fantastic. Like we did some fun stuff. I remember it. Why not me? Okay, so let's talk about your website where you also get to do whatever you want. Um, but you have probably a more specific mission than we had when we were all on Facebook Live. A uh, recent article that Bree dropped in our chat that you had written, Jason, was about this 2019 Ferrari patent that has resurfaced that yeah. everyone wrote about. But you took an interesting take on it. So the patent was basically about how a Ferrari supercar could potentially someday, uh, maintain constant thrust and improve performance and handling. But the method indicated in the patent had ties not only to Tesla, but to vintage Daimlers and Isaac Newton. Uh, Do you want to talk a bit about this uh, story that you published? Yes, I would love to because, okay, so I, so the idea of putting jet engines on cars for purposes of making (laughs) them handle better is it's it's an exciting thing, and I feel like it's one of these ideas that comes to a lot of people. And I say this because back in 2012, I for, when I was at Jalopnik, I wrote about an idea. I thought about what if – I think it was right as they were retiring the space shuttles. And I was thinking, man, there's a lot of hardware in the space shuttles that's still pretty good. And I was thinking about the reaction control jets that they have all over the shuttle. And I thought, what if you put a couple on a car? And I talked to a um, – a race driver about it and a physicist. Ooh. And we discussed how you could actually do this and you could correct oversteer or understeer with a set of reaction control jets in a car. So this was 2012. I thought I was hot because I thought I came up with it. And then um, uh, Tesla in like 2018 or even a little earlier when they were talking about the new version of the Roadster, Elon Musk was talking about how via SpaceX, they were going to have these cold gas com- compressed 
uh, thruster on it as well. And it was also for handling, but then Elon kept saying he wanted the car to like hop and hover. And then I had a <laughs> physicist do the math and you could maybe hover for 10 seconds. It'd be great if you like needed to park your car on a picnic table next to the road. I don't know what the hell you'd want to use it for. But anyway, so I was thinking about this and then I saw this Ferrari patent everybody was writing about because it had similar kinds of thrusters to enhance um, enhance control and, you know, dynamics and acceleration and everything. And it was interesting and the patent was interesting. And then I really started to dig back once I was looking at the patents and I found a 1955 Mercedes patent where they were going to redirect exhaust from the, each cylinder to act as thrusts on race car to keep it going. And then I was thinking, you know what? This goes back even further and it actually predates the car as we know it because Isaac Newton himself in 1687 drew a diagram that's basically a giant tea kettle with a nozzle out the back. And it was just to illustrate his, uh, what is it? The second or third law, third law of motion, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So you build up enough steam in this kettle and you blow all the steam out the back and you'll go forward. And he made like, <laughs> So this is an old idea. It's not new I, at all. I so recoiled is, physically yes. when you said a Mercedes patent because I remember, if I'm not mistaken, in the 1950s, it was the Mercedes car at Le Mans that killed literally 100 people by Maybe. flying into the stands and exploding. So the <laughs> Maybe, idea that they were like... more than 100. Yeah, it was a lot of people. Um, the idea that they were like, what if we could put rocket... <laughs> What yeah. if we could put rocket thrusters on it too? <laughs> anyway, sorry, Brianna, so, go ahead. So but why I not? Know, why not, yeah. Simone? Come on. It's it's, it's only madness. I mean, it, I, I love that idea. Sorry, go on, It would Brie. be amazing. No, no, no. I was just going to say, so in your professional view, as an automotive expert, both of you, how long is it going to be until I can fast and furious one of my cars and become a, a, a drift gal and just put a rocket on the side of my car and just be doing some sliding just, well, just you know, go around circles. Yeah. Here's the thing. You can do that tomorrow if you really want to and you had the resources. Oh, okay, good. Oh, good. I just remembered another example of this. Uh, <laughs> the Corvair in its testing, they wanted to do crosswinds testing. And the way that GM did it is they put a couple of like jet engines on the side just to blow it sideways to test <laughs> oh, it. Oh, God. There's a video of that, too. Wow. But, uh, oh, that's amazing. Here's it's the like telling the thing about Fast and Furious movie with the magnets where it's just <laughs> flying over sideways. Oh, God. Yeah, the magnets. But I mean, this is this idea has clearly been around centuries, as we know, and it's never actually made it into actual production of any kind. And there's probably a reason for that because you're you are ejecting gases, hot or cold, like <laughs> right next to you. And in general, it's really tough. Yeah, I I, I can see. I, I would like to propose a use case more realistic than landing on a picnic table, which is in <laughs> in Europe. Everybody's always parking on the curb and. Yeah. It's really, it's really bumpy to like bring half your car up onto the curb. What if you could simply like rocket boost half your car up and land gently <laughs> on the curb in a controlled sort of fall? It would be easier, on like your a spy spending. balloon coming to Earth. <laughs> yeah, I'm not over it. No, you shouldn't. Be. I, mean, I was thinking about this, like with all the forced induction, especially something a Ferrari like supercar is going to mm-hmm. get. Like, I bet you could like engineer something to like suck that air in and you know obviously the engine is going to be trying to use as much as possible but like re-topping up those tanks by compressing it that that seems like a feasible engineering challenge just because you're going to have so much forced induction in that equation i i think this is a waste of energy though the real trick is you put a fan underneath the car that sucks hooked up to a rocket to a turbine and you suck the car to the ground so instead of making it go up 
You can just drive upside down and just turn perfectly. Just suck right. the car to the ground. I mean, they had completely right. backwards. The Can-Am fan cars did that. Like, yeah, got, that's a thing. Wow. A thing. Yeah. Max I, I think y'all should have your own racing team. Just like get David Tracy out there. That dude will do anything. That's <laughs> like, true. Get, that is true, actually. Yeah. I would like yeah. to know uh, which driver and which uh, motorsport you talked to in 2012. Oh, I can find out for you. Yeah, I'm, I, I recently became a Formula here. One fan, um, so I'm. Yeah, maybe Parker. <laughs> let me see. Hold on. What, uh, did you become a Formula One fan because of Drive to Survive? I absolutely yes. did. They got me. They absolutely got me. Are you? Do you uh, consume Matt? I do consume, and I almost don't even want to watch the new F1 season because I don't want to spoil Drive to Survive. Like I love oh, Drive to Survive so much that I'm just like, oh, the drama. But the nice thing is they never like in the you watch Formula One, they're never like watching Alex Albon. Like like you have to watch the show to see what actually happened and not just yeah. the top three cars going around. But uh, or you have to be on Tumblr. Um, so I, I actually I was super interested when I um, when I read your piece. It's a totally different technology, but it did make me think about uh, the 2020 F1 season when Ferrari had what uh, many online call the illegal engine. Still, <laughs> that um, when the sensors were not active, would intake more fuel and the car would go oh. faster uh, until Mercedes so and Red Bull were like, "Hey." FIA, would it be legal if someone were doing this? And the FIA was like, mm, yeah, that'd be illegal, I think. No one should be doing that, right? And Ferrari was like, suddenly our car is way slower. Nobody think about that too hard. Um, <laughs> so if anyone could pull this off, I think it would be Ferrari, I hope, um, this uh, whole main uh, constant thrust thing. But By the way, Alex of Lloyd was right a racing there. driver that I talked Alex to. Alex Lloyd. Indy Car Rookie of the Year. Uh, cool. An IndyCar driver, and he didn't. He not enough money to make it to F one, but maybe talented enough to make it to F one, but didn't have the money. Didn't have the crazy Trumpeline billionaire dad or uncle. That you got to have one of those necessary to do it. Um, actually, I was just reading about the best F one this week about the best F one cheat that I had never heard of, which is that they put in a second brake pedal in the cars. So the cars had two brake pedals and the second brake pedal was so that when they were almost think of like a tank turret when they were mid turn. They could dial in a little bit of brake on only one of the brakes to help the car turn a little wow. bit better. Brilliant. And in the same thing with the Ferrari thing, where other people would go to the FIA and go, "Is this legal?" They knew they knew something was up. The other teams knew something's up, but rather than trying to figure it out or go ask someone, they would just yeah do the FIA thing where they go to the the rules. They go, "Hey, could you do this?" And they couldn't figure it out, and they would guess, and they would guess, and they would guess, and they would guess. And finally, a photographer got a picture of a brake disc glowing mid turn, and they were like, "Why would there?" That doesn't make any sense. He's accelerating. And then they realized what happened and they went to the FIA and they were like, could you have an extra brake in the car? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, There's guess who? Cheats. I oh, love it. Yeah. You know the famous, uh, the Toyota Supra cheat with the, the turbo thing? So the no. Toyota once, oh God, this is such a clever cheat. I'd have to look at it. We wrote about this years ago, but they basically built, um, I think it was adjusting the the diameter of the intake manifold or something. But the way it worked is when it was all put together, a spring was pushed that opened up something more than it should. So if they took it apart to see if it was cheating, the spring would be released and everything looked fine. So it was only cheaty if it was all put together. They're so clever. I love all the cheating. That's the best part. Honestly, so it is. 
so if I could turn this conversation just a little bit uh, more do. serious, I, I want to talk about why I genuinely love your site. And if I could do this, can I, can I do this with a, a real story about something that actually happened to me? So um, I'm interested in getting the new 9-11, right? Um, you know, there are a ton of different variants of them. You know, do I get the career T? Do I get the S? Do I get the the GTS, uh, you know, do I go for GT3, right? So I'm out there and I start looking through all the automotive things because let's be honest, for someone like me, I'm trying to pick between the T, which is like the the base model one, the S and the GTS, which is the really expensive one. So I go out there and apologies if I'm insulting the work of any of your friends or anything like that. I'm just being honest about what I, what I saw is if you go and read the articles about the 992 GTS, um, every single one of them has this exact same phrase in it. Um, it's something to the effect of it's the right balance between the GT, uh, GT3. It's a GT3 you can live with, basically. Right. And it says it over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> it doesn't matter what car magazine you go to, they're going to use that phrase over and over and over again. Um, my friend Nick Murray actually went out. He runs a YouTube channel and actually um, timed the Carrera S along with the GTS. And he's like, okay, is this actually faster? We're going to objectively test it and all these things. Uh, Porsche offered to give him a car. He's like, yeah, I'd rather just do this independently and find out. And um, he found out there's essentially no difference whatsoever. There's a difference in the suspension tune-up, tune but like zero to 60 times and a lot of these other things we think of with the GT3, it's just not there. So I, I think that there, in my view, as someone who does not work in the automotive like writing industry, don't want to work in the automotive writing industry, there really seems to be a structural problem there where the writers are really abused by a lot of these bigger houses, in my view, and are taken advantage of. And I think one of the reasons I was really excited to see Autopian like launch was truly independent coverage from some of the most like renowned, expert, liked, credible people in the industry. So, yeah, I just wanted to ask you, is that kind of like, do you think there's a need for that kind of voice in automotive journalism? Kind of what's your appraisal of the situation? I mean, yeah, we. I mean, in, the independent <laughs> part is absolutely true, sure. and also you're yeah. a peach to say all those things. So thank you very much for all of that. Um, we um, being you know independent and just writing about what we believe and feel and think, of course, is important. And right. we generally, um, you know, we have like a few, like David especially. Uh, there's a few rules that we uh, try to really adhere to, and that's um, everything we write has to be the dual E rule, entertaining and educational. Um, and anytime we can get expert opinions, um, we do that. So we don't rely on just what a journalist, you know, thinks they feel or they think. We go always to as, as many primary first sources as possible. Um, so in the case of, you know, the differences in those various trim levels of Porsche and how these are Porsche and how they're set up, um, we would probably, if possible, we would have gone to an actual engineer from Porsche themselves. We would have talked to them about why they made differences and changes and what is actually sure. going on. And we wouldn't just trust what we felt because honestly, we know our limits. We know there's only so much we can feel. We're not 
I'll, sometimes we'll get a genuine race car driver who can come on and who can tell us everything. And sometimes we have we have people who are regular contributors like Hubert Mees, who is a suspension engineer, who can tell us everything about the suspensions because he knows. But we're never going to have the hubris of thinking that as an auto journalist, we've driven all kinds of things. We know everything. We're always going to find people who actually know. So in that sense, I think it's um, we try to even go a step beyond just objectivity and go to the point where we find someone who knows their shit in the inside, wherever they are, whoever they work for or whatever. And um, that, that's important to us because we want we we want to be as open and honest and transparent as possible for everything we do. And that means if we don't know something, we don't pretend we find someone who does always. And we um, <laughs> do you hear my kid thumping up the stairs. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's important to us because the credibility is key and we want our readers to trust us. We don't ever want them to think we're we have some kind of agenda about something. Or if we do have an agenda, we're just going to come out and tell you that we have an agenda and we're going to push it hard because it is, you know, whatever it is. Sure. But genuinely, I mean, it's, that, um, yeah. Yeah. In that particular case, like that was, I mean, that was $20,000 for me, right? The difference in those cars. Yeah. So it's a big deal. You know, so for me, um, I just want to say this to all the listeners out there, you know, one of the things like, you know, Rocket is certainly listener supported. It's the exact same with Autopian, right? Y'all are doing a membership drive right now. This is really big. We know 2023 is going to be a rough year for advertising revenue. So I just wanted to tell y'all I've been meaning to sign up for a long time. I'm going to do it right now as we're recording tonight. <gasps> oh, yeah. I already signed I, up. I, 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 uh... I want to do this, and I support y'all, and I really encourage our listeners to do the same. Like, if you believe in independent media, you got to support it, ultimately. Yeah, we appreciate I am. And- I have I to, I have to admit, I, I didn't. I, sorry, I, I didn't know that uh, this had launched. I guess until um, recently, and so I apologize for that. That that I hadn't kept up with things. But you know, the Defector obviously launched a couple of years ago. I've been a um, um, uh, one of their higher tier supporters since they launched. I, I support Discourse, and um, which, which I think is still technically around. Um, but I'm just really glad you guys are are doing this, and um, um, happy happy to support it, and happy to support good. Like the, the 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 good jalopnik type of stuff, but you know, indie without without the who the, wants the, to be the, the first the person stuff. to say a URL for our listeners where they can oh. find out more about this. <laughs> That's smart. It's theautopian.com. Go ahead, Matt. It's autopian.memberful.com because that's where I am right now. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can go to memberful um, or you can go, yeah, directly to theautopian.com and there's a link at the top and it says support us. Uh, that's the best way to do it. We have three. We have three levels of of plans. We have uh, vinyl, where you will get access to some special content. Plus, we'll also send you a sweet shirt and sticker. Um, if you are velour, uh, you get that. Plus, Jason will draw a picture on your birthday See, look, of whatever car you want. Down. Like, look, you'll get on your birthday. I'll draw you a car. Like this person asked for <laughs> a, a Citroen DS, so I drew him a DS. That's so a good looking car. Very good. And I will draw whatever car you want on your on your birthday. Like you got a whole bunch of these. These um these this was a, one of those ideas that sounded great. And then Matt every week sends me these massive lists of everybody <laughs> who needs a car drawn. And boy, boy, it's we got a lot more. So I will say I talked to uh, we talked about Defector. So I, I've been talking. You know, we're friends with them. And and I was talking to Tom, and Tom was really helped. Tom Lay from Defector was really helpful helping us set this up and like, here's what we learned. And he was like, don't be afraid to ask for money. He said, yes. if we could go back initially, we would have done a mid-level tier. Cause they did the, like, I'm also a member,
where I got commenting privileges um, and, you know, all of that. And I was like, oh, that's smart to play. But we didn't want to restrict commenting for, for that. You know, it just didn't seem to make sense for what we were doing. So he said, do do a mid-tier. I wish we'd have done like a two or a 300 because I think more people would have signed up for it than we would have realized. And a huge amount, way more. So another thing is actually people get a grill badge at that mid-level one, at the $250 level. And we didn't order enough because we didn't think that many people would sign up. So we actually haven't even shipped those yet. Um, So if you sign up, we'll get shipped soon because they're just arriving from the factory. Um, And then our top level is rich Corinthian leather, which also I didn't I didn't think we would do. But then Tom and Defector were like, we actually have a lot of people who sign up. Uh, Yeah, I'm one of them. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, They even like at this point, like they send me merch just randomly like every quarter that like, yeah, which is fantastic. So I just get new. I just got a new um, 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 bag like the other day. I just got like nice. a shipping notification. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, go on. So tell us about Corinthian leather because this is fantastic. Yeah. What so, do they get? <laughs> rich Corinthian leather. You can come, you get first, you get all the other stuff. Plus you can get a tour of one of many associated auto museums or Bose, uh, our, our co-founders, private collection of cars. Which is uh, fantastic. He has some amazing things in that collection. It's worth seeing. Crazy stuff. You get a vial of rust from one of our co-founders, mini rusty project cars, an actual vial. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is exciting. That's kind of our OnlyFans bathwater option there. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. But, but uh, uh, And then you get quarterly merch. That was another defector idea. That was really good. And actually, there's a woman um, in Vermont, um, Sid, who does One Hell of a Town, which does weird car merch. She does amazing stuff She's and fantastic. weird weird plane merch and it's really high quality and so we're her first like partner to do uh she does all of our membership merch and we are launching soon uh a store with her where we're going to do really weird wacky stuff but she's an amazing artist and an amazing designer and her stuff's really worth checking out too and so the stuff's super super high quality excellent and uh you can do monthly or annual we have so many options at theatopian.com please click support us on the top right uh, I did. I went with the annual. Uh, I would like to propose a, a membership tier. I think okay. I think this would be very successful for you, um, where you can like pledge a higher tier. And if you're ever out near um, your house, Jason, you get to take the Changli for a drive. 100%. Because That's not I a would we can make spend that so much money to go do that. Like, y'all don't understand it. how famous this car is. It is amazing. <laughs> I, this is one of the, the like the tiny little vans, right? Uh, it's a. It's not even a yeah. van. It's um. How, we can talk, let's see. Let's talk about the change. Actually, you know what? Actually, let's. Thing. Why don't we save that for our bonus segment oh. for our members? <laughs> okay. I can interrogate you about this little car because I think we are coming up on the. End of the show here. Okay. Uh, but before we dip out, where uh, can people find you online, Jason? Uh, besides theautopian.com, where would you like people to come hunt you down? Um, yeah, there's, of course, theautopian.com. And then there's uh, on Twitter at, if that's still around by the time of this airing, uh, <laughs> Jason Torchinsky there. I think Jason Torch on Instagram. I got to get better about updating that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess those are the most places. I mean, you know, like I, most of the stuff's the Utopian. Just go to the Utopian. You can, of course, Google all my old, I wrote over 6,000 articles for Jalopnik. So uh. feel free to find any of those too, and then come to the Utopian and see the new stuff. All right. Matt, where do you want people to find you? You can find me on Twitter at Matt Hardigree, on Instagram at Hardibro, and TikTok at Winnie the Bish. Check me out. All right. Really. That last one I made up. <laughs> Damn. Okay. I, I was very, I was very, <laughs> I'm very gullible. You can't I do that too. on the show. I was like, I that's it. brilliant. I was like, that's really good. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks, this is a big treat. We really appreciate it. All right. Let's talk about what we are doing this week. Brianna, let's start with you. You look so excited. Okay. I have two updates for y'all. Okay. The first is tickets for Scream went on sale today. (laughs) I'm so sick, y'all. I'm seeing it Thursday night. I'm seeing it Friday night. I'm seeing it Saturday night. I'm seeing it Sunday night. Oh my gosh. I'm so psyched for this. They are so confident in the new Scream that they are taking out a Super Bowl ad Wow. A Super Bowl ad is going to happen with the new Scream movie. It looks so good. I'm just so psyched for that. But what I really want to tell y'all about is, okay, so I have a gamer confession to make. Please don't shame me for this. I would never shame oh, no. someone ever on this show. But despite the fact that I love survival horror games, I have never beaten the new Dead Space, the, <sighs> the original Dead Space ever. So I got the remake, and y'all, it's so good. It is so good. It is such a good game. It's better than Resident Evil. It's horrific, and it's bloody, and it's really good action. And I'm on the final boss, and I had to stop to come out here and record the show. Oh, no, so you're, like, in excruciating pain right now. Yes, I've got to know how it is. It is really, 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 really good. We um, streamed it uh, last week for Thursday. I was watching you? Pat play it. It looks yeah. so good. And I like even through like watching it through the Discord screen share. Oh, my God. It was it's horrible, freaky. Right. It, yeah. yeah. Absolutely horrifying. But but good. <laughs> <laughs> so people who don't know Dead Space, um, it's basically Event Horizon. That's the concept of it. It's Event Horizon, and you're armed with mining gear. So, like, these horrible creatures are coming. It's like these corpses that are mutated with spiky bits. Mm. So they're coming towards you. And the way you kill enemies, you can't just aim for the center of their chest. You've got to chop off their limbs. So you're just, like, strategically trying to dismember the limbs of these horrible creatures. Blood goes everywhere. Guts go everywhere. It's disgusting. It freaks Frank out. I love it. So you gotta stomp um, them. You gotta yeah. stomp them like grapes. It rules. Hundred percent. Oh, that sound. It's oh, oh <laughs> Christina. Oh, oh yes. what are you up to this week? Well, first, um, I don't know if you've have I ever told you this, Bree, but when I was in college, one of the posters that I had on my wall was a screen poster. <gasps> one of the posters in my dorm room. Yeah, I had, I had a screen poster. I had um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I had Fight Club, and I had Silence of the Lambs, and I had Radiohead. Oh. And, the, and and I had an Andy Warhol poster in the kitchen, and those were those were my freshman year dorm posters. So um, I used to look at Ghostface every day. <gasps> um, yes. But uh, uh, what I'm doing this week, I am back from Disney. I'm back at work starting tomorrow or today, as you hear this. So I'm like trying to catch up on like I was actually on vacation, you guys. Like yeah. I, I was actually not checking anything. So Good I'm checking up with the rest of the world. And uh, getting getting back at it. So that's what I'm up to. All right. Uh, I am relentlessly preparing for Carnival by sewing many, many things. Uh, but mostly, I think we're going to be streaming tomorrow as this comes out. This might not be in time for y'all to tune in. But the Nintendo Direct today announced, I think, Metroid coming to the Nintendo Switch for, <gasps> like... 
I, I, really? I, I oh my god, I should have confirmed this. Um, exactly which one is is coming? Metroid is Prime it the Remaster Metroid Prime trilogy. Oh Metroid my Prime god. Remaster is coming to the Nintendo Switch. <gasps> uh, literally today. Ah, like what? Finally, yeah. what? during the direct, they were like showing the trailer, and then they were like, "And it's out today, right now." And okay, we were well, like, there's Whoa! my weekend. Well, there's my weekend. <laughs> yeah, Great, sorry. thank you, Nintendo. I'll, I'll drop the article in um in the uh, uh show notes. Um, but yeah. So that's so we're going to be streaming that tomorrow. I'm going to get a, a taste of that. It's uh $40 in the Nintendo Switch eShop. So if anyone um wants to relive uh Metroid Prime there I it is. I think it's possible you have chosen DNA and that's what happened to you just like Samus Aran. I, Possibly. I think that's what's going on. I won't rule it out, Brianna, until they can do a proper test. But I don't think the technology exists yet. Have you tried um, to roll into a ball? Have you have you tried that? Oh, I should. I'm famously inflexible, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Brianna, where can I find you online? Uh, well, Twitter is busted, y'all. Like, it's so seriously busted. broken as we're recording this. So you could try, but uh, you can't follow anyone or tweet anything right now. So good luck. <laughs> Oh anyway, my it's God. Brianna Wu on Twitter. Uh, and Christina. You can I'm at film underscore girl on Twitter and um Instagram, but I'm also at film um uh underscore girl at Mastodon.social. I might end up be switching to Christina.social, which I did actually spend $110 on. Um, it's gonna cost me like hundred dollars a year, but Christina.social is a freaking great domain name. I also own filmgirl.social. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I'm, I've been a lot more active on Mastodon. Um, it's really good. And, uh, it, I've, I've been really enjoying it. Um, again, I think that, uh, Simone, I think that there are a couple of Mastodon or Fediverse products that you would like. One was, um, one of our sponsors, uh, I think it was two weeks micro ago, dot blog. Micro, micro dot blog, who's fantastic. Uh, but there's another one that I'd actually did buy something on. It's like omg.social. And I did buy a a, a URL with them or domain with them or user account, whatever the, the term would be. But they also have a Mastodon server and they do other like fun pages. I'm going to send you some of these things because I think that both of those yeah, services would be things and that I, could give you like maybe make you feel like it wouldn't just be as a Twitter replacement. I think you would actually like some of the other Fediverse. Yeah. No, I, I think it'd be worth uh, for a future show since I think last time we talked about Mastodon was during the Great Migration and we were all kind of like, ugh, why do we have to do this? And now it sounds like you two are pretty into it. So I would love to like revisit yeah. that topic and say like what's changed on Mastodon in the last few months. And also if other people are looking to make that leap late, <laughs> what so, what they have to know yeah, for a future no, show. I, I, I wanted, you weren't on uh, last week, Christina, so I didn't get a chance to tell you this. So, um, you know, Ivory came out, which is mm -hmm. basically the TapBots version of Mastodon client. It's really, really good. Yep. And it makes Great. Mastodon a million times um, more pleasant to use. And I can genuinely tell y'all, like, I have 150,000 Twitter followers, roughly. I can take a tweet um, on Twitter and then copy that tweet and literally get more engagement on Mastodon with only 15,000 followers. Like it is absolutely worth your time. It's better mm -hmm. engagement. I'm not running into trolls in the same way. It's more technology literate people. 
Um, like it, it is genuinely, it is night and day and it is well worth your time. So thank you for pressuring me to do that. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been just, just another shout out for, for Ivory. Um, uh, I've been, uh, testing the, the Mac version, which is, um, still like in private, uh, preview or, or private beta or whatever. It's real good guys. Uh, ice cubes is another really good, um, iOS client that's open source, um, and, uh, free and that developer has been putting in a ton of great work into it. Um, I agree with you, Simone, we should have a whole episode when you're back from, um, uh, Gay Paris, uh, from Carnival, uh, to talk about all of this, uh, stuff. But, um, I think the biggest thing that's changed has been that the actually really good app developers, um, have to make clients for it now. So it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. If you are a Boosty member who supports us directly, you're about to hear a great segment with Matt and Jason talking about uh, importing Chinese EVs, uh, which may or may not be street legal, but are certainly freaking cool. Um, So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much. Uh, If you want to learn more about that process of signing up, you can go to relay.fm slash membership. And until then, this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.